Welcome back to the sermon podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. This sermon was recorded on the second Sunday of Easter, April 24, 2022. The scripture is from Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter. With everything we've endured in the last two years through pandemic, reckoning over systemic racism, broken politics, the effect of climate change, and now the war in Ukraine, these changes can leave us clinging to what is known and familiar. Even if that familiar experience and understanding represents a broken past, it is often easier to hold on to it rather than venture into an unknown and uncertain future. The story from Luke's Gospel about the disciple Cleopas and his unnamed friend returning home to Emmaus on that first Sunday of Easter is a window into the grace that can break the power of limiting assumptions about ourselves and the possibility of change and renewal that flows from Christ's resurrection to us. They knew all the facts of Easter. They knew Jesus. They knew his teachings. They had witnessed his miracles. They had even heard the witness of the women that he had risen. However, the perception that death was all there was had held them so tightly that they were unable to see beyond it, even with the risen Christ standing before them. This story is a reminder to us that the power of God's next is always greater than the fear and pain of our last. Our gospel this morning is from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you are walking along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? He asked them, What things? They're they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning when they did not find his body there. They came back and told us that he had indeed, they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as a woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. 
Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer all these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to where he, they were walk, going, he walked ahead where they were going. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road and how they had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. We are listening. Friends, I would invite you to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. I would suspect that most of us, probably all of us, carry within our life, our emotions, a certain amount of, of pain, woundedness, memories, loss. I mean, we can't, I mean, neuroscience tells us that the body keeps score, that these traumas in our life don't just disappear, and they don't just you know, vapor up into the ether as they leave our consciousness. They're, 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 they're part of who we are. Now, we probably don't carry the awareness of that pain, that loss, those memories uppermost in our mind. I think that, that our, our life would be maybe tragic if we were consumed constantly and forever by that pain, but it's still there. And it comes up it, sometimes at very, at very unusual times. There will be a, sometimes it's a smell. I mean, smell is a, really, is a really big trigger. Or a place, or a picture, or a sound that will, will trigger this. And, and, and a wave of sadness can come over us. Now, probably it will pass quickly. Maybe, and I, and I know that, we, that this is a common experience with close friends or with spouses or with parents or children that we've lost to death, that there will be something that will happen. And, and you, you, it, it was in your pattern to share that with that person. And you go to pick up the phone and you remember they're not there. This, these waves of sadness that come can, can sometimes just stop us in our tracks bring us up bring us up short until the wave passes 
and then we are able to move on. You know, I think about this, this experience very much with this passage that Sarah read, and thank you, Sarah, for being here, pinching at the last moment. Um, but there is one verse in this that when the unrecognized Jesus comes and asks Cleopas and his friend, well, what are you talking about? Luke records that they, they, they stop. They were walking. They stop. And they became very sad. It's a familiar experience. And it was important. Luke, I mean, this, this, this would be something that maybe could be easily glossed over, but Luke seems to make a point of recognizing the grief that Cleopas and his friend, who I think represent all of the disciples, the grief that they feel in that moment, that they stop, and Luke lets them feel that grief. But the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't leave Cleopas and his friend to, to kind of wallow in or be consumed by that pain. He goes on to, to share their story in a way that opens up a lot of doors for us. You see, Cleopas and his friend, of course, Cleopas is not one of the twelve, but remember, there were way more than twelve people that followed Jesus pretty closely for a long period of time. I mean, upwards of a hundred people followed closely. So Cleopas was clearly, and his friend were clearly among that number. And here's the thing, they had walked with Jesus, they had heard his teaching, they had witnessed the miracles, no doubt they had broken bread with him. They knew all of this story. They had even heard about the witness of the women with this fantastic tale that he had risen from the grave. And yet, they're walking home. They're not staying with the disciples in Jerusalem. They're going home, a seven-mile journey to Emmaus. And they're sad, and they're talking about it. And then this stranger, at least to their eyes he was a stranger, came up and, and started chatting them up. And they said, well, are you the only person that was in Jerusalem that did not hear this story? And they proceed to witness all of the facts and the elements of the story. How he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, and he had done all of these things. And then they betray their own grief, their own loss, when they said, we had hoped he was the one. Past tense. We had hoped that he would be the one to deliver Israel. And then this stranger says, well, pff, all right, let, let's try this again. And he goes through the whole of Hebrew Scripture, and he reinterprets everything that he had done with the disciples and in ministry, and in, in full sight of Cleopas and his friend, kind of run them all the way back through, and they get to the end of the story, and still nothing. They, they're still there in that moment of pain and grief. Because in their mind, much like with what the women experienced and what we had talked about last week, dead is dead. 
There's a, bio, uh, there's a biology, a physiology, there's a finality that we know that physical death is an end. There's no sense denying that. But here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's important for us. Their perception of death and what Jesus' death meant and what they had experienced and what they had been told right, was, was an open door for them, but they could not get past their own limiting assumptions about death. They were kind of stuck in this moment, seeing no future. Remember, we had hoped that He was the one. That, it's almost like that chapter is closed. There is in our life great power around limiting assumptions. And we all have limiting assumptions. We all have things that kind of rattle around in our brain and in our spirit and in our life and in our experience that stand as obstacles to us. Obstacles to all sorts of things. Obstacle to meaningful relationships. Obstacle to effectiveness in, in uh, jobs obstacles um, uh, in faith and in our awareness and understanding of God. We all have them. And a lot of times these limiting assumptions are based in pain and woundedness, brokenness, fear, experiences in the past. And they stand forever as that obstacle. Somebody that tells us a lie about ourselves. And worse yet, when it happens from a parent. You know, I've, I've shared before that, that this, this image that my father gave me of, of myself, that somehow I am less than. And it's taken me my whole life to finally get to a place where that lie and that self-perception has lost its power. But we have these perceptions about ourselves. Maybe they're, they're, they're rooted in a failure. Or something, something maybe that wasn't even our fault. Or something that was imposed upon us by somebody who sought to do us harm in some way, shape, or form. That we are less than. That we are too much of something or not enough of something else. Or that our life doesn't matter because we don't fit neatly within a particular box. Okay, that is the norm. I think the older I get, the more I realize what's normal. I mean, really, what's normal? And the idea when, when we try to... Uh, normalize our own experience and our own view of the world, the chances that we do harm to somebody else, that we put limitations and obstacles in front of them, the chances go way, way up. But limiting assumptions are a form of death. Maybe not because they, they, they do us physical harm, but they can do us spiritual harm. They can do us emotional harm. And they close us off from the possibilities of God's grace that is always being poured out for us to help us to live beyond all of these different experiences of death. Yeah, the physicality part of death, that is its thing. 
But even beyond that, if we allow these limiting assumptions to dominate our view of ourself and our world, then we will be stuck until something comes along to unstick us, which is exactly what happened to Cleopas. They finally arrive home. They're at Emmaus. It's been a long week. Remember how the triumphal entry into Jerusalem started and all of the emotion that came up this week. And then there was the Passover and the Last Supper. And then there was the trial. And then there was the crucifixion. And then there was this day of wondering what would come next. And now it's Resurrection Day. It's Sunday. You ever have a week like that? Pull the covers up over your head. I'm going to sleep for a day or two. This is, this is where they are. And on top of that, they've just walked seven miles home. Dusty, dirty, maybe even crowded. They wouldn't, have, you know, have you ever had a time like that where you're just like tired and worn out and the last thing you want to do is hospitality? The last thing you want to do is open your door or, you know, go do that thing with a neighbor? They could be forgiven if they didn't do that. But inexplicably, no matter what they were experiencing that in that moment, their fatigue, their grief, their just joy at being home, they open their door to the stranger. They engage in an act of hospitality. They engage in an act of self-giving love, which is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus had been teaching them for three years. So in this moment, they reflect, even though they, that chapter of their life was seemingly closed, they reflect what they had earned, and the most amazing thing happens. The guest that is welcomed in becomes the host. And the host takes bread and blesses bread and breaks bread and gives bread. Is this starting to ring any bells? This Eucharistic moment, this gift of grace that the un previously unrecognized Christ gives to Cleopas and his friends, open their eyes, literally, figuratively. Break the limiting assumptions of death. And then he's gone. And I love the expression, were not our hearts burning inside of us as he was unveiling the scriptures to us? You ever have a moment like that? Something, boy, something's getting you wound up and then it triggers and you realize what it was. Tired, fatigued, worn by grief, walked seven miles. What do they do? They say, wow, I can't wait to get a good night's sleep and head back to Jerusalem in the morning because we got to tell what we found. Is that their? No, that's not what they do. They jump up. Christ is gone. They have this moment of recognition. The limiting assumptions are gone and they take off. Okay, imagine walking from here to, and we've talked about this before, right? Go, go to Loma Linda. At least it's flat that way. Flatter that way. You get to Loma Linda and you have this moment of epiphany and you come hustling back here on foot. Imagine what would have happened in their life, in their faith, in their awareness to energize them to take that step in that moment. 
but that's what they do. That is the power of Easter. That is resurrection. That is the empty tomb. That is grace. It is liberating. This is a liberation story. This moment, this Eucharistic moment in Emmaus becomes a liberating moment for Cleopas and his friend. And the limiting assumption is gone. And this is good news for us because resurrection can be that same kind of liberating experience for us as we confront the limiting assumptions in our own life. All of the ways that people have foisted their opinions upon us about who we should be and what we should be and how we should be. The ways that um, we carry this image of I'm too much of something or not enough of something. Oh, I couldn't possibly teach Sunday school. Oh, or I can't, couldn't possibly do this in ministry because, well, I, I, I don't. I'm, you know. And the excuses that we sell ourselves on and make for ourselves that limit our ability to simply reflect God's love in an act of hospitality for others. When they got, remember when they got home, Cleopas didn't preach a sermon to this unrecognized guest. They just opened the door. He said, come on in and share a meal. Come on in and share some hospitality. They were making connection with the stranger, and it was in that moment, in those connections, those holy moments, that this amazing thing happened. Because this grace that we celebrate today carries with it a promise. And we've talked about this. This kind of, the kind of peppers through a lot of what we have talked about. But there's a promise that it's easy in the midst of our limiting assumptions to forget. A promise that, that God loves you. I'm going to put this in you rather than us because it really is that personal. God loves you, period. God is present with you, even in this moment. God heals, you know, those, those hurts that get in the way, God heals those pains. God restores us from the, 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 the traps and the prisons that we would set for ourselves or that others would set for us, God restores us to life in the community beyond those things. God calls you to be a part of this in ways that are unique to you in your own life, in your own experience, in your own faith. God equips you to do that work and God guides you in that work. Seven things. Seven seems to be a holy number, but it works. God loves you. God is present with you. God heals you. God restores you. God calls you. God equips you. And God guides you. Always. Always. And this liberating grace enables us to live beyond, to live into what comes next in our life, in our faith in our life together. And that is rooted in this moment when we realize that, that while death is death and a finality in and of itself, that that death, and in all of the myriad ways that we can experience, 
is not and never will be the end of the story. The end of our story, the end of our journey, the end of our faith. There will always be for us a new day. And for that incredible gift, we say thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope that it has been a source of inspiration and encouragement for your spiritual journey. If you're interested in more information about the church, we would invite you to come to our website at redlandsfirstchurch.org. We hope you will join us in person, online, or via this podcast each week as together we open our lives to the movement of the Holy Spirit that we might grow in faith and be strengthened in the ways that we reflect Christ's presence in the world. Thank you.